Amen. Good morning, church. As part of our Summer in the Psalms, our reading this morning is from Psalm 61. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. So will I ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. Can we pray together? Father, thank you for what a joy it is to come and to sing your praise, not only here, but Lord, in our kitchen, in our work, in the car, in H-E-B. And Lord, I just, I just thank you for a church family that we can come and lift up our voices to you. What a beautiful sound it is here this morning to hear a room filled with voices lifted up in praise to you. Lord, because you, you deserve all of our praise. You've given such hope, such encouragement, such purpose, and such forgiveness. Lord, how could we, how could we not? And I just thank you for Paul. I thank you for his family. I thank you for the word that you'll bring through him. And Lord, we just lift up this time to you with thankfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, hello, everybody. So the first clue that I'm not Chris is... Oh, I have shoes on. But he's also a lot taller than me, a little bit lighter. Um, so Pastor Chris and several others are well on their way to Israel. I'm so excited for them. Keep them in your prayers as you uh, remember them throughout the week. Uh, they'll be back in about 12, 13 days. Um, but I get to be here today and share a little word with you. I've been reading through Psalm 61 this week, and I'm excited about uh, what the Lord has just been sharing with me. Uh, it's it's kind of hot out there, isn't it? Yeah, it's nice. Thank you, God, for air conditioning. I mean, it, it is so hot out there. I, I mowed the yard yesterday, and uh, I started very early. I think it was 8 o'clock in the morning. I was trying to beat the heat, but it was already hot. In fact, I... I was drenched, you know, from head to toe, and all I had done was put gas in the gas tank. I, I hadn't even started mowing yet. It was, it was, it was bad. Uh, but I was thinking about this picture of that fiery furnace that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into. There's no heat like that heat as it was described in the Word of God. And that picture there, it illustrates a time when Ken, King Nebuchadnezzar was reigning. And uh, he, had, he had made this golden image. And this golden image was to be uh, worshipped. Whenever uh, there was music played, he had made this decree that whenever music would be played, everyone was to bow down and worship this golden image. And word got around 
that there were a few that did not do that because they weren't going to worship this golden image. And those few were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And when King Nebuchadnezzar heard about it, he was very, very angry. In fact, he made that furnace seven times hotter than normal. And it was so powerful to read through that passage when they had to respond to King Nebuchadnezzar's uh, accusation of, of not bowing down to the image. And, and this is what they said when he asked them. He's, they said, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. And in fact, he did. Here's another picture. This is Daniel in the lion's den. And this is a picture that to me just speaks so very powerfully of the situation that he was put into when these guys that were very jealous of, uh, of Daniel because he was a prophet and he was a true servant of the Lord. So they were trying to come up with this scheme to get Daniel in trouble. So they convinced King Darius to issue a decree that in the next 30 days, they were only, everyone in that uh, community was only to worship or pray to King Darius. And Daniel didn't do it. He continued to pray three times a day to his God, to our God. And so this is what happened. He had to throw him in this uh, den because he was going to hold to his word. Um, and, and actually, King Darius he cared for Daniel very much, and it troubled him greatly to have to do this. So much so that the very next morning he goes running to the den to call out to Daniel to see if his God had saved him. And so this is what Daniel responds when King Darius calls out to him. He says, My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Yes, Daniel lived. Amen. Amen. Let's look at another picture. This is a, an illustration of Queen Esther. And she was a Jewish maiden who had become the queen of Persia. And Queen Esther, she played a vital role during this time because there were uh, plans, a plot that had been uh, made to annihilate all the Jews. So she goes to uh, the king and she's very terrified. She humbly bows down before her king, hoping that she will not be killed. And this is why she thinks that she can be killed. We can read there in Esther chapter 4, beginning in verse 10. It says, Then Esther spoke to Hathach and gave him a command for Mordecai. Now Mordecai was a cousin to Esther, and he had sent word about this annihilation, this plot that was to take place. So Esther says, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that any man or woman who goes into the inner court to the king who has not been called, he has but one law, put all to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter that he may live. Yet I myself have not been called to go into the king these 30, 30 days. So they told Mordecai Esther's words. And Mordecai told, him, told them to answer Esther in this way. Do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more 
than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise from, for the Jews from another place. He had a belief that he, they were going to be saved. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. So what do all these pictures have in common? Well, I, they all show a situation where these people, I imagine, were very terrified, probably very overwhelmed by their circumstances. And that's what I love about the Word of God because it's God's Word, it's the truth. And God does not shy away from pain and suffering. He doesn't shy away from trials and tribulations. Throughout all the Scripture, we can read of those dramatic accounts, circumstances that for any of us, we would probably think it was too hard for us to handle. But if the Scriptures would have only given us those mountaintop experiences, then how would we really know who God is? How would we be able to find peace in the midst of the storm? What would it really mean to us when we read about Jesus being a man acquainted with sorrows? If the Word would have skipped over His own pain and suffering, if we were never to learn from the Scriptures about the fall of man and the consequences of sin, how could we get through this life? No, to truly know God, to truly trust Him, we must read about a God who has been there since the very beginning of time through every dark valley, through every fiery trial. How else would we come to know about the God who sees us, who upholds us, who is described as the one who but for the joy that had been sent before him would experience the death that we deserve so that we, we could have a hope that's greater than our present circumstance that assurance of a life being protected beyond our temporal time here on this earth, a life that is truly everlasting. So that's my hope today for you, church, that you would leave here this morning with that greater and more confident understanding of this assurance of God's eternal protection. And I believe that David writes beautifully through Psalm 61 how we're to live when dealing with hard times, troubling circumstances. So let's pray before we get into Psalm 61. Father in heaven, I thank you for an opportunity to share um, what you would want spoken about your word, to, to be able to rightly divide the word. I ask for your mercy and I ask for your grace. I thank you, God, for your word. Your word is truth. I pray that our hearts would be open to your truth, that our ears would be attentive, that our eyes would look to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we read through Psalm 61, you're going to see that it starts with these expressions of great grief, and then it moves into this hope-filled trust as, as David praises God. So he starts there in Psalm 61, beginning in verse 1. Hear my cry, O God. Attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I will cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock. 
that is higher than I. So the first thing that I notice here is that David, in all his wisdom, he recognizes that God is not just um, someone who hears, because God is everywhere and always present, but he wants more specifically for God to attend to that by which he's speaking. And I want to tell you that that's important for you to not just assume and throw up your prayers, but to be very specific and to ask God to attend to your prayers, to listen to the cries that you have. Ask God to attend to those prayers. And why does he want God to attend to his prayers? Because he says there he's overwhelmed. His heart is overwhelmed. We can be honest with our feelings. God already knows them, but there's great power in expressing them to our Heavenly Father. And that's the thing that I want to encourage you to do is to be honest with where you are and also be bold as to where you want God to take you. Where do you want to be? David tells him, lead me to a rock that is greater, that is higher than himself. And you get this idea, this sense of feeling that David has that he's far away from the Lord, especially when you're reading that part that says, from the end of the earth, I will cry out to you. Perhaps David is realizing that he's come to a place, an end of himself, maybe at the end of his resources, maybe his strength. Has anyone ever been there? Mm. But for whatever reason, David is in so much turmoil that he knows nothing else to do but to cry out to God and to ask him to lead him to a rock that is higher than himself. And I wonder why he says a rock. I want to show you a picture from my trip to Israel. I was blessed to be able to go in a, this past spring, and this was one of my favorite places. This was in the Engedi National Park. And throughout this rock formation, you can see caves. And it reminded me of those times when David was running from Saul, King Saul, as King Saul was trying to kill him. And I imagine that David, when he's writing this psalm, he's remembering the power that comes, the strength that comes from this rock formation, but symbolizing really who God is. And he is his rock. He wanted God to lead him to a place of security, a place where he could have that firm footing, a place where he could remember who has always been his protector, and that was his heavenly Father. And it was in this remembering that his longing we see in verses 3 and 4. He wants to get back there. It says, For you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. Yes, David, he recalls all those times that God has been faithful as he ponders, I imagine, from those times he's been rescued in the past. Probably, you know, thinking about when he killed that lion and that bear, or maybe when he defeated Goliath, or all those other times when he was protected from the attacks that Saul had when he was trying to kill him. Yeah, I think David, he had enough experiences in his mind to remind him that he could trust God to protect him. Just like a strong tower, David recognized the strength of God. Just like a tabernacle, he recognized the richness of being in God's holy presence. 
And just like a hen who covers its chicks with her wings, he understood the security that came from being under God's care. So, so we can learn from David that when we're going through a, a tough situation, we can remember how faithful God has been in the past. In these next few verses, we can see, it says there, For you, O God, you've heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. You will prolong the king's life, his years as many generations. He shall abide before God forever. O prepare mercy and truth, which may preserve him. Yes, David is recognizing now something even beyond himself. He's moving from a different state of mind. He sings praises to God's name for, forever, and by doing so, he's going to be able to perform his da daily vows. But has David's circumstances necessarily changed? Can we get that from this passage? No, not necessarily. What's changed? His mindset. David moves beyond his present circumstances, and he looks towards the one whom he will praise forever. And this is not easy, but we're called to praise God even when we're feeling overwhelmed. It reminds me of these lyrics to this song where it says, I was sure by now, God, you would have reached down and wiped our tears away, stepped in and saved the day. But once again, I say amen, and it's still raining. Well, as the thunder rolls, I barely hear your whisper through the rain. I'm with you. And as your mercy falls, I'll raise my hand and praise the God who gives and takes away. And I'll praise you in this storm, and I will lift my hands, for you are who you are, no matter where I am. And every tear I've cried, you hold in your hand. You've never left my side. And though my heart is torn... I will praise you in this storm. It's a good song. I think that the writer of this song understood David very well. And this is what we're called to do. This is what it looks like living with the assurance of God's protection, that we praise Him even in the storm. We praise God. Now, I understand that's often easier said than done. And for many of us, we maybe have never seen or did not see a particular victory that we were hoping for in some circumstance in our past. But this is why before you leave here today, church, I think it's so very important that you walk out of here understanding that not every circumstance or trial will end in the way that you would like it to. After looking at these pictures earlier, if we're not careful, we can get caught up in the expectation that God will deliver us from impending death. And while he certainly can, there's so much more to know about God than surviving a temporary circumstance on this earth. I believe that these people like Esther and Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and others that we read in the Bible, they actually had a hope that was much greater than their temporary time here on earth, than their present circumstance. In fact, I can read you some verses from some passages to, to show you why I believe that's true. Remember when Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they were uh, thrown into that fiery furnace? 
Well, let's go back to that passage and let's read one more verse that we didn't read the first time. This is his, their response to King Nebuchadnezzar, beginning in verse 17. And they say, If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. And here's where it gets really interesting. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Remember when Mordecai's message to Queen Esther telling her about the time that perhaps God had placed her in that position for such a time as this? Well, what was her response? Let's look at verse 15 from Esther 4. It says, Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, and this is what she says, Go gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me, neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise, and so I will go to the king, which is against the law. And what does she say? And if I perish, I perish. What about Job? Do you think Job had a hope that was greater than his present circumstances? When he was standing there at the footstep, at the doorstep of death, afflicted with all those sores and boils, after having gone through unimaginable loss, losing all his children, and then losing all of his material possessions, yet he could still say this. In Job 19, beginning in verse 23, he says, Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book, that they were engraved on a rock with an iron pen and lead forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and He shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, how my heart yearns within me. Oh, Job saw much, much further than his present circumstance. If you take time to study the Word, you'll see that God's promises of protection does not mean that we're never going to know pain or loss. Many of us in this room, we can, we can attest to the fact that, that God does not always shield us from the results of our own sins or even the sins of others. And as I look around this room, I know that there are very few of us, if any, who have not suffered or gone through some type of overwhelming circumstance. So it's important to understand that as we look through these powerful accounts in the Old Testament, that we recognize that our physical protection is not a promise that we're given under the new covenant. No, we have now a better covenant. Remember, studying through Hebrews in the spring, who is that better covenant? It's Jesus. That is the protection, that eternal protection that I believe David was speaking of. It was something that was much greater than our physical place here. It was a protection that we were given to be able to protect us from the enemies of our soul. It was a protection that would get us into the gates of heaven one day for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. And we can be assured of that eternal protection 
because we have those of us who are in Christ, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But Jesus had to first defeat death once and for all in order for us to receive that assurance of his eternal protection. And that could only happen by Jesus trusting in his heavenly Father, no matter how difficult his present circumstances were. In fact, let's look at this picture of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. In this picture, it illustrates a scene where Peter, he cuts off the ear of one of the high priests because they were trying to take Jesus and he was wanting to protect them. But Jesus didn't need his protection. No. Jesus trusted in his heavenly Father to protect him. And church, today, since it's Father's Day, it's a good reminder for you dads to protect your families. Let's read together Jesus' response when Judas and the other high priest came to take hold of him. So this is Matthew 26. Jesus said to him, Friend, why have you come? Then they came and they laid hands on Jesus and they took him. And suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. But Jesus said to him, Put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot, cannot now pray to my Father and He will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? How then could the Scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus? You see, this needed to happen so that Jesus could go to the cross, take on the sins of the world, yours and mine, and defeat death once and for all. This is what we needed so that we could have that eternal spiritual protection. That Jesus, having been raised from the grave three days later, He appeared to so many so that we, we would know He indeed is alive. In fact, we read there in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 3, it says, For I delivered you, first of all, that which I also received, this is Paul speaking, that Christ, the other Paul, not me, but that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to be present, but some have fallen asleep. After that he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, then last of all he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. And I love how Paul testifies to this truth, but I think it's amazing that it's not just people of the New Testament that saw Jesus. No, remember what Job said? I know that my Redeemer lives. Or how about we look at that fiery furnace illustration again that we've been looking at a couple of times. Look at that picture of that fiery furnace and how many people do you see there? Four. Four. Let's read who King Nebuchadnezzar sees. It says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste, and he spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound in the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, 
come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they came from the midst of the fire. No, not even King Nebuchadnezzar could deny who this God was. Remember when King Darius discovered that Daniel had survived the lion's den? Later in the book, we read this declaration by King Darius, and he says, For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. This is why David could pen such words of assurance in Psalm 61. And I want us to remember how we can live a life with that assurance. So I just want to cover those four or five uh, things that we talked about earlier. First, when you're going through those hard times, a circumstance that seems overwhelming, ask God to attend to your prayers. And be honest with where you are and where you want God to take you. And remember how faithful God has been. Look then beyond your present circumstance. And then do what? Praise God. God. Colossians 3 reminds us that if we are raised with Christ, we are called to seek things which are above. Where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God, we are to set our minds on things above and not on things of this earth. So church, as our worship team comes up to lead us in a song, whatever circumstance you're going through, let's praise God. Let's put that into practice right now. And if you would like prayer, we have uh, Chad in the back. Love to pray with you. Uh, Miss Judy, if she can go by the bookshelf, love to pray with you. Jaden would pray with you. But let's go. Let's go into prayer. Let's go into praise, whatever the circumstance is. Father God, I thank you. Thank you for the opportunity that we've been given to read through Psalm 61 and to ponder all that you have for us to know. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room, for those who may be listening and watching online, God, whatever their circumstance is, God, I pray that they would be honest with you, that they would cry out to you, that, they would, um, that you would attend to their cries, Lord, that you would attend to their prayers, that they would be honest with where they are, Lord Jesus, that they would remember those times where you have been faithful, that you would renew their mind, that you would help them to hold every thought captive and to make obedient to you, Lord, and that they would turn around and that they would praise you because you are so worthy. We thank you, and we can only praise you because of your son, Jesus Christ, and what he's done for us. So be blessed by our song in acknowledging who you are. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need to attend to some things now, take this time. I cast my mind. 
Calvary Where Jesus bled and died for me I see his wounds, his hands, his feet My Savior on that cursed tree Oh, praise the name Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise His name forevermore. For endless days we will sing Your praise. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord our God. so much for for worshiping with us. Thank you so much for listening to God's word be taught and for being with the family. We hope you have an amazing, we hope you have a great Father's Day. 
Dads, I hope you enjoy it. And a lot of you are probably cooking your own food today. Just, I don't know how that happens, but it does. Anyway, so I um, hope you have a great day. And, um, and this week, I don't care if Monday's amazing or if Monday's like a Monday. Like, we'll praise the Lord. And if it carries into Tuesday, we praise the Lord. Because he is worthy. Church, we love you. You're dismissed.